This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we're getting deductive, or inductive. If you've ever read or watched a single second of Sherlock Holmes content, whether it be Robert Downey Jr., Benedict Cumberbatch, or the books on your Kindle, you've seen deductive reasoning which is not to be confused with inductive reasoning. Both induction and deduction are the process of critical thinking. But if they get jumbled up, people often switch from inductive reasoning to deductive reasoning and then back to inductive reasoning. This kind of thought process can feel very much like good old-fashioned critical thinking. But the flaws in the logic lead us to incorrect assertions that feel like strong evidence. It's this sort of thing that spawns misinformation and conspiracy theories. It's important to understand how you're thinking and why you're doing it that way. And welcome to episode 92 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition strategy um, and decision making. I've always wanted to doing? try that. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm just such a big oh, fan of that part of the podcast. And I thought I want to step into your shoes <clears throat> these days. The, the, the position if I'm going to be one, I need to act like it. Bus driver. You are a bus, bus rider. Driver. You are a bus rider. And welcome. You could be the... You, you could be the instructor. I could. We could do. We could call this like a learn. Like, do you have to do that? Do you have to do like a bus test? You know how you do with like a driver's ed thing. You gotta have like somebody CDL in the front seat certification. The yeah, yeah. It's but called, do they do like a drive along, or is it just like don't wreck the truck? It's called a Bachelor of Arts degree. <laughs> it took like a Bachelor years. of Arts is a CDL. It took years. It's like yes, this a podcast version of a CDL is going to a college and studying art. Yeah, art. This is episode. All right, all right, bus Good driver. Lord. What episode is it? This is episode ninety-two. <laughs> I legitimately didn't think you'd get that. I, I do want to. I do want to give a special okay. shout out on this one. There's a there's a specific reason that I know this one's episode ninety-two. Uh-huh. I was talking about this recently. Yeah, Nick, we have another super listener mm-hmm. on the show. Yeah, and this super listener. I don't even want to mention this super listener by name, but this super listener knows who this super listener is. Is it Dad? And no, it is not. Oh wow. No. This is this is a friend of mine, and I I'm just so impressed. This person has listened to all 91 episodes of Game Theory, a competition, a podcast about competition strategy and decision making. Why? And you haven't excitedly listened to all told episodes. me to make more content. <laughs> I, I know. I, I I can barely conceive of us recording 91 episodes. It's it is wild. Well, and it, and we did talk about on the previous episode. We have a big milestone coming up, and as we, we all know. Milestones are, I think this is a meaningless milestone because I think we should be in base 12. And so that's, 144 that's right. is going to be a big milestone for me, which that's is 100 right. in base 12. Yeah. But no, I, I, I did know that this is uh, 92 because we have a, a, a listener, power listener who's caught up. Caught up. On episode one through 91. Well, welcome power so, listener. Big shout out. And um, you were really good there. No gender, no age, nothing. That was pretty good OPSEC there. <laughs> That was a sh- yeah, this is a this is somebody this is somebody who protects OPSEC, and I just want to match that level. Of what is um respect, really. this person? Let's just say that wasn't a shout out; that was like a whisper out, like whisper yeah, whisper this person out. 
<laughs> if you're out there. Um, last episode, I said it would be on YouTube. It wasn't, and that wasn't my fault. It was Riverside FM's fault, which is un- unbelievable. They were like, yeah, there's no space on the browser. Like, what the f- are you talking about? There's no space on the browser. It's Google. There's plenty of space on the browser. Means. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. But anyway, it didn't happen. This one allegedly will happen, and if it is, you can see Chris's sick hat. It's unbelievable. They used to not be able to get those bad boys on the internet, but now I guess anybody can get anything they want on the internet. Yeah, shout out to King Ropes and King Sheridan. Ropes. I've hats. never Insane. roped an animal in my entire life, but uh, mm. man, sick branding, sick state. Absolutely. You know. Uh, mm. Also, shout out to Ian Munslick. Yes, Munslick. Ian's great. Munsick, I think. Munsick. I think. So. Yeah. Just yeah. got turned on to his music. Incredible stuff. I think he's also a, a Sheridan local. Yeah, for sure. I went to college with him. No, you didn't. In Sheridan College, yeah. We're friends on Facebook. Look it up. No, you're not. Look it what? up. Yep. Anyway, we don't have time is for this. Is that real? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Look at him. Is, is, is he doing well? You're I don't pretty know. Sure. I'm pretty sure we broed out. I I mean, I'm going to look. I mean, it's, it was like a decade ago. I went to college for like seven years. I don't know. <laughs> um, when, how much of Sheridan do you actually remember? I actually had a great time at Sheridan, but I had a far greater time at Ole Miss, so a lot. <laughs> I remember quite a bit of Sheridan. Yeah. Ole Miss is a little foggier from here to there. I do remember October 4th, 2014. That's when we beat Bama. Shout out. What's up? Um, anyway, so we're talking about induction versus deduction today, and I'll be honest with you, as someone who has a degree in bus driving podcasts, I didn't quite get it, so we're going we're gonna to power through this together. We're going to do some learning. We're going to do some figuring stuff out. We have a Halloween Episode next week, uh, Chris. So one thing that's happened due to laziness and then we just kind of snuck this through that's going to change. We're going to figure it out. We're now like on Wednesdays and we're going to get back to Tuesdays at some point. But we apologize for that, kind of. But Tuesdays are the it, worst day of the week. It's a culture problem. Well, and it's the worst day of the week. And who... Oh, it's just... We're going to get back to Tuesdays. It's it, there's, a, there's a workplace culture. You know, honestly, we need to bring in McKinsey to come do an assessment of our... <laughs> Our, our situation here. We need. We need. Uh, who's the other one? Deloitte. We need McKinsey and Deloitte to have a. They need to bid for our business to see who is going to come in and fix our shit. That's what we need to have happen here. Yeah, I'll go ahead and drop the proposal. I okay. hope they're ready yep. to be impressed by nearly two figures of budget. <laughs> nearly two figures. That's exact. That is exactly. Well, Nick, like, before we get into the induction deduction, yeah. like the main kind of topic. I want to pose you a riddle. Okay. We'll get to the answer at the very end. So mm-hmm. this is kind of a play along sort of question for you. Sure. So imagine yep. that you are outside of a room. I'm closing my eyes. Faced with three light switches. Okay. Closing your closing your eyes. Yeah. They're focus closed. Your, Look at the internet. Eye. You have three identical light switches in front of you. Mm-hmm. Inside a room, there are three identical incandescent bulbs, but you do not know which light switch corresponds to which light bulb nick you're allowed to enter this room exactly one time time out i'm in the room with the switches you're in the room with the switches you can do anything you want to the switches in any order for any length of time what it doesn't it doesn't matter you can do whatever you want to the switches but you can only cross the threshold once okay once you stop messing with the switches and cross the threshold into the room you get no more information is this a fucking riddle this is a real life riddle okay yes the question is Using that one trip, how do you mess with the switches? How do you time the entry into the room? How do you figure out which of those three switches goes to which incandescent light bulb in that room? And I'll let you ruminate on that one. And I brought this up because wait, wait, I have it's a the fun. Answer. Hold on. I have the answer. Hold on. I, I got the you answer. You have the answer. No, no, no. Sure. no, no. We'll I, I run end. We'll a 299,792, wait, wait, 299,792. 
792,458 uh, second 40-yard dash. And so I will just flip it on and go and see which one works. <laughs> I just Googled the speed of light. <laughs> I don't know. There are, It had more digits than I thought it would have. It's nearly 3 million meters per second. Is it 3 million meters per second? Oh, that's what Google.com it says. It's 186... That's 186,000 miles per second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What is the speed of light? Just crazy my fast. screen. If you're on YouTube.com, you can see it. There it is. Speed of light equals, or is that miles per second? That's meters. Meters, that's, that, yeah. That's the MS, yeah. That's the metric system. 299,000. Yeah, 299, so basically 300 million. Yeah. Meters per second. Meters per second. So you run that fast. Well, okay, Muhammad Ali. Right. <laughs> so for the mere mortals out there, how do you how do you right. mess with the switches? So let's go over the riddle time again. the entry into the room. I am in a room that's got three light switches and perhaps um, some Stroopal waffle, which we're watching the Great British Baking Show, and I every time I watch that show, I just get obsessed with Stroopal waffle. So I'm in a I'm, I'm in a room with three light switches and Stroopal waffle, and I'm eating my Stroopal waffle, and I'm like, there's one light bulb in there, and the other light switches could go to anything. They could turn on an Alexa. Maybe one of them's dead. Who knows? But one of those light switches no, for there sure. There are three light bulbs. Oh, there, there are, are three, three light identical bulbs. light bulbs. Okay. Three light three switches. Identical light. There's nothing else in the room. Yeah, it's just it's light bulbs and light got switches. It. Okay, that's all you got. And the waffle. So there's three switches, three light bulbs, and I got to figure out which one corresponds to which. Yes, you have to figure out which switch corresponds to which incandescent light bulb. Inf- you get one chance. Infinity time, though. Yeah, you can spend as much time as you want before you cross the threshold, but once you do, you're you're done. That's it for sure. Okay, so your I fate is that room is basically your tomb. I can't run three hundred million meters per second. So um, that would make my forty yard dash time one point two billion of a second. Right? Can you even run at all? No, God, absolutely not. That would break my. I mean, I warm up <laughs> not, to jog not anymore. Not since the Obama I administration. Literally have to jog warm up in order to jog fast, like and jog fast, not run, jog fast. I, in order to jog fast, I have to jog slow first for a while. It's the most humbling experience in my life at this age is having to cross the street quickly. Yeah, that is so. It's like like if I if I admit defeat, if I swallow my pride and break into a trot, it's like okay, I just nobody needs to witness this. No, nobody should see a grown man behave. Especially in 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 the summer when the grown grown men sweat. Um, not not great. Okay, so three light switches, three light bulbs. I have infinity time, and I have one chance. I can't just like go back and forth and go back and forth and go back and forth. Yes, okay. that's it. And we'll put a pin in this sure. because this is a this is an episode where we're talking about different kinds of reasoning. So we'll we'll discuss that at the end. We'll be like a big reveal. So stick around, player three. Ooh, what's it going to be? Ooh. We'll put, we'll put a pin in that, and we're going to move to talking about the two basic kinds of basically logical problem solving. And this is this is kind of like back to high school type of stuff. We're talking about inductive versus deductive reasoning. Nick, what do you know about this? Um, you know so inductive reasoning, I think inductive reasoning is where you work backward from something and 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 try to figure it out backward. And deductive reasoning, it seems a little bit more generalized. I think that from what in our research, Sherlock Holmes is the best example of what deductive reasoning is, right? Like I have an observation, therefore conclusion where. Yeah, there's. A, go ahead. Define you, go ahead. No, no, you define it. No, you go. You go ahead. You finish your thought. It was a good thought. <laughs> okay, so, you know. And we know that no, he's like okay, okay, I'll, all right, all right, yep. So I'm gonna, I'm, fucker. I, I'm gonna quote from a couple of different sources here. <laughs> this is this is from somebody's this is from somebody's website, but this is this is accurate information. You can you can cross check this. This is DanielMeisler.com. Mm-hmm. 
an article called The Difference Between Deductive and Inductive Reasoning. Hey, there you go. And right at the top, there's a very simple framework for how to put this together. And then we can use the the different methods of reasoning to figure out what different types of problems you can and can't or should and shouldn't try to solve. So inductive reasoning is a process of thinking wherein you start with an observation. You, you, you observe something in the world around you, some phenomenon, some event, some trend. You conduct analysis on that thing. You, you kind of figure out what is causing the phenomenon. And then you develop a generalized theory out of those observations. And so the example that Daniel Meisler includes on his website, and there are, there are infinite number of examples, but the example here, just to illustrate the point, is you can begin with the observation, I break out in hives when I eat peanuts. Yeah. Every time I ingest a peanut, suddenly I get hives somewhere else. The analysis step going from that observation to the next part of like the actual thinking is this is a symptom of being allergic. Hives are a symptom. I, I know from my experience that people break out in hives when they're allergic to things and they come in contact with that thing. So then the final step here, the conclusion, is this generalized theory that you can draw from the observation that you started with, the single data point. Through analysis, you can come to the conclusion that you are allergic to peanuts. So you've, you've, you've drawn a general theory where you can now say, hey, my name is Nick. I have no other personality traits. I'm allergic to peanuts. And you started with, with, a, with a basic data point. Now, deduction is basically the exact opposite of that. It's going from a general idea, from a broader concept, and it's zeroing in on a specific conclusion about a specific set of data. The example that Daniel uses on this form of reasoning, on deduction, is beginning with the idea that all men are mortal. All human beings die. That's just how it is. That's a, a law of the universe. So starting with that idea, if I apply it to something, say you, Nick, I observe you're a man in the loosest sense of the term, in, in a legal sense. Hey, hey, hey. I just, hey, so buddy. if I go back to the idea, all men are mortal, yeah. and I say you are a man, okay. I can then conclude in the specific case that you are mortal. You will pass from this earth someday. And that's deductive. Fade into the West. That is deductive reasoning. Deductive you were reasoning. deducing. You were like deducing, as in like de downsizing, making it smaller. You're taking the general and making it specific. Induction is like, like if you think about, you know, like an induction current is when you put like two magnetic fields next to each other and they they create a current just by virtue of being next to each other. They generate motion. Yeah, the perpetual you're motion. Inducing, machine. right? Exactly. You're 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 using a specific observation yep. in a specific time and place and inducing a broader idea out of it. You're, you're spinning a generalization out of a spe specific data point. With deduction, it's the opposite. You're starting general and you're applying that down to a smaller set of circumstances and you're concluding something on the basis of that idea. So it's basically just putting, do you, do you put the idea at the very end or do you put the idea at the very beginning? Are yeah. you starting with an observation or are you starting with an abstraction? And this is interesting because they're both, and they lend, it lends itself a lot to what we've talked about on this show with um, confirmation bias, very, various scientific method stuff, um, causation, correlation, that kind of thing, like retrospective data. All of that is, is part of this. So for example, an inductive reasoning example, see that I did prepare for the show, you little shit. So you did, you know, you know, I, you know, Nick, for all the, for all the crap I, I give you, it's you actually, do a lot more preparatory. You work. know, I'm not talented at much, but what I am really talented at is hiding that when I do work hard, because I, but you know, the key to doing that, the key to running a good <laughs> bluff the key to running a good bluff is occasionally being prepared. <laughs> you, you're, you're, you're an expert at what people in the government would call 
managing expectations. I'm very you never ever overpromise. I'm very very talented at making myself seem very talented. <laughs> it's it, it's truly impressive. <laughs> Thank it's you. impressive stuff. Um, so inductive reasoning is let's say I live in 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 Knoxville, Tennessee, and there are two roads, and they both run the same direction. So you think like, oh towns of suburbs this is not a town with a suburb it is a suburb that is just one direction so the traffic is it goes one way it goes it's really bad but it's weirdly linear it's it's a very strange kind of it's weird it's not a grid it's a line it is a line so if i want to go either eastward or westward at a certain time of day i need to plan on that trip length potentially doubling but if i want to go against the traffic it's usually hunky-dory. Or when the sun is up or sun is down, early morning, late night, it's fine. So I can observe traffic patterns, and then I can decide how much mental bandwidth do I have for uh, driving on the road right now with other people. And I can make the decision based on the best time. to. The, I can make the decision about the best time to leave to get somewhere based on the observation that I know how the commute works here. In the morning, people go into the downtown just like normal places, and they go out, they shop in the suburbs, et cetera, right? So that's yep. inductive reasoning. I have observed the traffic patterns of my town, and now I can decide how important it is for me to go to the gym at 9 a.m. No, not very important. And <laughs> Like, oh, well, it's important, but does it happen? Mm. So I'd be like, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll wait till noon when all the working men and women are at their jobs and all of uh, the housewives can go to the gym. And so, or house husbands, like some of us. And so I know that I, I can make my decision based on this thing. A, I think this is deductive reason. I could be wrong. I think it was Charles Ogilvy. Is that his name? I don't know. The, the father oh, of advertising. The father of advertising. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, that's from, uh, in, they talk about him in Mad Men, right? Yeah, he's the guy, he's the godfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, the customer is your wife or something to that effect, which is him being like, the person that we're pitching to is you, is the woman of the house, the person who holds the purse. She's the one that makes the decisions or whatever. That's him thinking that. That's him. And then you go out and test it and be like, okay, we market to women and it becomes this circle Oh, well, we market to women, so what markets well for women? And you can see the gap here being, well, you didn't really observe this. He kind of just figured it out himself. And then for decades, the industry just went off of this thing that this guy said. So they just got a bunch of confirmation biased data. But now we know that marketing is different because we just have a preposterous <coughs> illegal amount of data on people. So, <laughs> so that way, we, we know of, who the customer t- is and where they are. Did you see today... There was a lawsuit filed by 41 states in the District of Columbia against Facebook. No. Yeah, so that was a that was a headline. We were not prepared to talk about this, but no. you, you mentioned yeah, the, wanna, uh, wanna, the illegal yeah, amount yeah, of data. Right. Yeah, let me let me let me see if I can find mm. that. But no, you're 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 right. There is there is a way to kind of reason through things, but we got to be careful because if you aren't if you're loosey goosey with whether you're deducing something or whether you're inductively reasoning something, you can actually put yourself in pretty in a pretty precarious position and you can wind up with some faulty logic. You can wind up falling for like an actual logical fallacy, or you can come up with a kind of interesting paradox. Now, are, are you looking for the uh, you looking for the headline? Yeah, a little bit. I'm, I'm looking for the. Uh... I just yeah you you go you do the paradox thing and I, I'll do the googling. Okay, so just just real quick, I did I did find it. Okay, so this right, is from right. the Washington Post. 
Uh, 41 states in D.C. are suing Meta, which is the parent company of Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to Zuck. And the allegation is that Meta harms children by being addictive. And it's, it's so like the basically the algorithm and the, the specific user features of yep. Instagram and Facebook are designed to get children hooked. And so the lawsuit from these like 80% of the union mm-hmm. is trying to protect kids basically. Um, yeah. so, and there's plenty of evidence on that and we could get into, this isn't a conspiracy theory, it's something about Vegas that I know to be true and we'll get into that one day, but yeah. What do you mean we'll get into it? Okay, you, I'll tell you the brief story. There's a casino in Las Vegas that's not open to the public, but they let people go in there and try like a bunch of um, like guinea pigs, essentially. Like It's like clinical trials, but it's for casinos. And they just try a bunch of things like colors and games and stuff. And the number one client of this casino used to be other casinos. Now the number one client of the casino is Silicon Valley. Really? The casino the does research on what is addictive for casinos, and they write a bunch wow. of conclusions and they publish a bunch of papers and give a bunch of shit and there's a lot of their stuff can be proprietary if you set up the experiment yourself like think Mandalay Bay and MGM Grand and all those kind of places the number one client wow. of this, this 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 casino has is Silicon Valley they're going there specifically like hey how do we get people addicted to shit you know w- when we were in Vegas a little bit ago mm-hmm. we spent some time in the different casinos sure. we, we went to Caesars and we went to Paris and yep. we, we, we had a we had a good old time sure. we chucked some money away meaninglessly and of course, you know, if you have a gambling, if you have a gambling problem, gamble responsibly mm-hmm. and 1-800-GAMBLER, you know, et cetera. Number in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1-800-GAMBLER. But when we were there, one of the things that my lovely partner pointed out was just how like freemium mobile games like Candy Crush, like the, the, the IPs that are on all the slot machines with the, the bright colors mm-hmm. and the elaborate art. And there's like, you can tell there's like almost lore in the background. Yeah, and like stories. They'll have a different gimmick. Yeah. It's like you get like a double bonus if you get all six things in a row. And they're all slightly different, but it's all really the same because there's one button that you can push on most of these things. Yep. And it's just, it's it's crazy. And it, it makes sense that there would be considerable alignment between tech companies who are trying to get people to use their apps and sell more ad space and casinos that are trying to just get people to sit their ass down, put money into a machine and press a button. Yep. So I, that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, is that like the, like the McDonald's test kitchen? It's essentially the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the so the businesses go there to figure out what's going to get people to stay. And they've there. been doing it from what I understand. And I, I I saw this on TikTok and then I found it and like I I read what was been written about it and it's like there's a lot of hush hush stuff about it, but it's been reported on. It has it's existed forever. This casino like these casinos have been you again like you have to test your product out in the space and people come in and like it's no different than focus group testing. But the clients that really want to know how to get people addicted to shit are not as much casinos. They're being outbid by tech and make, it makes a ton of freemium gaming. Just is they're just casino games with zero possibility of winning money. They found a way to have well, it and the, zero and it's, risk. And when it's freemium games, but it's also just companies that use apps. I mean, YouTube. You, Makes a ton of money mm-hmm. selling ads. Mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, targeted ads are so precise and they're so pernicious that it, it makes perfect sense to me that you would have companies trying to get people to to use their product. Right, and that was an example of deductive reasoning right there. We have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Just deduce that. Okay, let's get back Brilliant. on track Brilliant. for the paradox because okay. there's one question in preparing for this show that I couldn't answer, which is why do I, a non-scientist, give a shit about this other than just me paying attention to the world? Like It t- seems like it'd be taking a lot of effort to be metacognitive and be like, okay, well, I'm inducing that or I'm deducing that when I'm really just trying to figure out like, oh my God, the sorority girls are going to get out of class at 11. I can't go to Starbucks right now. 
I have to go to Starbucks before 11. That's that's the only thing I need to think about when I'm figuring out my day. So what what why do I care about the difference? We've talked about this and that. What is why does this matter to me? So the basic principle that I've been able to figure out from this is that it's important I think to not switch horses midstream when you're following a chain of reasoning that's either inductive or deductive. Okay. It's very important to keep in mind whether you're going from a general principle down to a specific decision or specific observation or like the scientific method is based on experiment. You observe, you understand the laws of nature, you do experiments and you refine your knowledge. Or whether you're going in the opposite direction, whether you're looking at an observation in the physical world and trying to generalize that into a bigger principle. If you start going larger and then smaller and then larger again, you can mix up your stream of thought and end up in paradoxical situations that, that kind of hurt you. And there's a fun, kind of morbid, but uh, it, it, it really just depends on like the skin that you put on this thing. Exemplify me. But there's an example. Yeah, so there's there's an example here. And the example is, uh, it's called the unexpected hanging paradox. Oh, the unexpected the hanging paradox. I have, a sim- I have a similar one. It's called the, the lion and the lamb, but go ahead. Oh, okay. So I, I, I have not heard that one, yep. but there's it, this can also be called the surprise test paradox. Yep. And, and the reason for that is like, well, the scenario is the same. If, imagine you're a prisoner on death row right. and your sentence is coming up or you're a student in class. We were just talking about going to college or whatever. You're a student in class and you know there's a pop quiz coming up. So the the framing is, is as follows. And I'll, I'll use the hanging example just for the sake of... The stakes are higher. I've missed many pop quizzes and I, I'm just fine. They are. Yeah, they really are. So a judge tells a condemned prisoner that he's going to be hanged at noon during one day of the week, one weekday, the next week. And he is also told that the date of the execution is going to be a surprise to the And there was a reason behind this. In the the story, it was something like they didn't want him to know or something. It was like morbid for him to like, it would just be better for everybody if it just happened on a random day. Well, you know, Dostoevsky argued that the death sentence and the knowledge that you were going to die is actually worse than the real death sentence. And that was based on his own experience of being drawn before a firing squad before they ultimately, like, fake killed him and let him go. And that was after after that he wrote his best work. Can I just say, I have, I'm only a third of the way through Crime and Punishment, but there is a scene in there that makes me think that perhaps he maybe needed to be put to death. Um, it's very accurate. Who, Raskolnikov or Dostoevsky? Dostoevsky seems very, like, he knows the thrill and fear of committing murder as a writer very well. Just incredibly well. Well, you'll find, I think you'll find in that book there's a, there's a scene or there's, there's a back and forth discussion between him and, uh, what's the detective's name? I don't remember. I can never remember. Yeah. These Russians. But regardless, it, it, Raskolnikov goes through this exact thing where it's like, oh, yeah, the, the knowledge that I'm going to die, the knowledge that I'm going to be caught and punished right. and put to death, that's worse than the actual killing or whatever. Of course, he's using this to justify his own decision to kill somebody. And there's and like then, a, you know, there's a surprise it's the only book where the dream is actually interesting. But okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. But anyway, a judge tells a condemned prisoner that at noon, one day, week, one weekday next week, he's going to die, but he's going to get no advance warning. He will be surprised by the date of the killing. So upon reflection, the prisoner concludes that he is actually going to escape from the hanging. He's good. And he reasons thusly. He concludes that the surprise hanging could not possibly be Friday. Because if he hasn't been hanged on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and he knows he's going to be hanged on a weekday, then it won't be a surprise to him by the time he gets to Friday. He will know, this is, a, this is going to happen today. And so I'm not surprised. And so now the hanging can't, the judge will have lied to me. Will be invalid. 
So then he says, well, okay, I know it's not going to be Friday. That means Thursday is now the last day that it could possibly happen. But it can't be Thursday. But it can't happen Thursday because if I'm not executed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I know cetera, it's not going to be Friday. Yep. Right. And, and so this is actually where he'd be thinking about, okay, if I know the game is going to end at a certain point, then I can just kind of walk backward. And he, he doesn't have the choice to cooperate or not cooperate, but it's the same example of, of like the Nash equilibrium. If you know that the competition is going to end at a certain point, then it makes sense to stop cooperating immediately. And so his conclusion is like, oh, well, then it can't be true from the very outset because at no point will it be a surprise to me. And wouldn't you know it, lo and behold, the next week, the executioner knocks on the prisoner's door at noon on Wednesday, which was an utter surprise to him after he thought that it would, couldn't possibly be taking place, and so he was killed. So the paradox is that he reasoned his way into thinking this couldn't possibly be true because he wouldn't be surprised to be killed on a Wednesday if he wasn't killed on Monday or Tuesday. And yet he was, and he was surprised. So there's a basic explanation for, for how this happens, and it really comes down to the concept of the word surprise in this. And there's an explanation that you, you can put this into formalized logic, which is like really highly technical, symbolic stuff. It's not just like like those logic puzzles at school. I mean, that's the that's the kiddie version of like formal logic. There, there are really rigorous rules to figuring out whether things are logically true or false or yeah. valid or invalid. And the, the, the problem that he has is that if you try to formulate it in the following way, you get caught up on the word surprise. So the formulation could be the prisoner will be hanged next week and the date of the hanging will not be deducible the night before from the assumption that the hanging will occur during the week. But the problem with that is that the hanging, the, the prisoner could deduce that the hanging is going to occur on the last day of the week. But that gets us right back to where we started. The, the, the key here, again, is the meaning of the word surprising. And in this definition, we've restricted it to meaning not deducible from the assumption that the hanging will occur during the day of the week. And so instead of of uh, of the surprise being contingent on whether we can deduce that the hanging is going to occur during the week. Instead, if we reformulate it and we say it the following way, it actually becomes valid and you resolve the paradox. So the, the formulation that you could have is the prisoner will be hanged next week and its date will not be deducible the night before using this statement as an axiom. So it's like a, it's like a self-referential thing and you can express this in formal logic. But, but the basic point is that if you try to kind of deduce when you should be inducing or induce when you should be deducing, and if you start switching horses midstream, you could end up concluding the wrong thing and you could be in for a nasty surprise. In the prisoner's case, RIP, cost him his life. For you, it'll probably cost you, what, 20 minutes waiting in line at Starbucks? Yeah, um, if, it depends on how many pumpkin spice. The, the people that order cold coffee there i just why it's cold outside don't you want to warm up your soul don't you just want to feel the a hug on the inside of your body why why get a cold i know, one? Take I know you've forgotten this Ugh. but i've also because i've also forgotten this but if you work out sometimes your body temperature does rise and so a cool drink can actually be refreshing so you're drinking um, a pumpkin spice latte after you uh do do some hip abductors huh no, I'm drinking chocolate milk because apparently it's good for you. It is good for you. That's what Google.com says. I have an inductive reasoning problem for you. That's similar setup, but it takes okay. induction to solve it. And there are no stakes for you, but there's uh, stakes for a little itty bitty lamb. So, Chris, let's just oh, no. say you eat a bunch of lamb and you feel fat. Would we agree? <laughs> that is, that, <laughs> you could, we could be having this conversation any day of the year. So let's just say you're a lion and you eat lamb and you're on an island where there's only one lamb. 
I'm going to set the scene. I just want to, let's set the rules of the scene first, and then we'll set the scene. So if a lion eats a lamb, the lion feels fat. If there are two lions and a lion eats the lamb, then the other lion's like, well, you're fat now. So guess who's getting eaten? You are. Right? Oh. Right. Okay, so here's the scenario. There is a deserted island, and we have to figure out how our one baby little lamb can survive. There's one lamb on the island. What number of lions okay. need to be present for the lamb to survive? So here are the rules. Every single lion in this theory, male, female, doesn't matter. They are all the exact same age, weight, strength, and intelligence. They're okay. clone lions. How do we figure out when the lamb is safe? And remember, if you eat the lamb, you become dinner because you'll be fat. Now, there's, there's something that, that makes me think that this has something to do with like the very beginning or like the very end, like the logical conclusion here, because if, yes. if, if the principle, You're on the right track. Now, now do I, I ask myself, do I go from induction and try to try to use the fact that I'm going to be eating something to draw a generalizable rule? Or do I start with the generalizable rule and say like, I don't want to be dinner and deduce that it'll take X number of lines to agree with me. So I, if, if I try to, if I try to deduce this, the axiom is that by eating someone else, I will become dinner. It makes sense for me to survive longer, I guess, sure. to not eat anything. Yep. And the only way for me to not eat anything is for me to either not be there at all or to be the only one. So from that, I would conclude that it's it becomes unsafe when there are two when there's more than one lion on the island. Okay, so you're on the right track. Let's test our okay. theory. So let's just go through a couple. Let's, let's do some. Let's do some testing. So now we've had this observation. Let's do some tests. Let's say on the on the island there's one lion and one lamb. What's the outcome of this situation? The lion eats the lamb and he's fine. And what do we know about the number one? Just some quick properties. It's prime. It's prime. First of all, yep. It's odd. It's odd. That's good First enough. Let's Second just start all. with prime and odd right. and not zero. It's positive. That's one it. It's also Those an three. integer. It's an integer. Those four things. We came with four things. It's about also a one. natural number. It's also a rational number. Your face is rational. Okay, so let's go. Let's let's continue our process. There are two okay, lions great. on the island, and one yes. lamb. What happens now? Well, two is a prime number, so. Well, what happens? But, what, what's in the scenario? Because if, if you're a lion and you're as smart as the other lion, you're looking at the lamb and you're looking at that lion's like, I really want to eat. I'm fucking hungry. I can't eat the lion because I can't beat him in anything. And if I eat the lamb, that lion's going to eat me. So we're in a so situation. If, so the lines are the lines are equal strength, and I, and I'm going to assume that when you say the lion feels fat, that means like oh, Slow, I'm lethargic, I am going to get eaten. When you eat the lamb, your digesting process, your fullness will mm -hmm. make you lethargic, and then you will become less strong and athletic as the other lion, and you will succumb to them. Gotcha. So yes. because the lines are fungible, I'm just going to call them lion A and lion B. Sure. And then there's the lamb. Yeah. So when there are two, yep. then lion A eats the lamb lion b would then be able to kill and eat lion a right so it's therefore inadvisable for lion a to eat the lamb and the same goes in the opposite direction because as i said the lions are fungible it doesn't matter it is no longer safe for these lions to go for dinner right so that's what do we know we know that lamb with one lion dead lamb with two lions infinite alive. standoff alive what do we know about the number two Number two is prime. Mm -hmm. As I've said, it's the only odd prime number. It's the only even it prime number. It is also the only even prime number. Thank you for checking me on that. Shouts to Notre God, Dame. that's embarrassing. <laughs> I have uh, had a full bad. glass of tough. whiskey this evening. That was tough. It's the only even prime number, but it's also an even number. Yeah. 
It is an even number. It's an number. even integer. It's an integer. It's positive. Which, of course, we have to do. It's positive. Okay. It's natural. So let's it's now let's number. now, now we can continue to induce. And so we have some rules here. So prime numbers, so far, we can't decide here. Right? We got two yeah, of them. Nope, Could be 50-50. We do seem we to have... We cannot induce anything about, the, about prime them, yes. numbers. We can't conclude anything about the relationship between prime numbers and the lions and the lambs. Now let's think about what would happen if there were three. Now we're going to start to look at patterns. If there are three, okay. one lamb, if there's a weak lion, right? Think about this. If there's a... If that eats the lamb, right? So like say there's three lions. One yeah. of them eats the lamb. That yeah. lion now becomes lethargic, and the other two lions are simply back in their original no. standoff. No, so it's only safe for the first lion. Like, the first lion is technically safe then. Gucci, because totally it Gucci. Won't be- so with an odd number then, the lamb suddenly is in danger because Correct. it's safe for one lion to eat it because it's unsafe for the, next, for the subsequent lion. Correct. If there are 100 the lions, lion. the lamb will live forever. If there are 101... Theoretically, every time the lion eats another lion, eats another lion, eats another lion, it just pairs down and pairs down. So at an even number of, the the official answer to the game theory problem, this induction problem, is that the lion closest, and if there's an odd number of lions, the lion closest to the lamb can eat the lamb and live, and the other two will starve to death. Before they come weak enough and then, yeah. That is an astounding result. And so so that's that's your case of of induction. You take the observation that, you the, the observation that you begin with is a singular lion can eat a lamb and becomes vulnerable. That's right. Like a singular lion can have dinner and then becomes vulnerable to being killed. And you analyze that by walking through the steps here. And then you can draw, arrive at your generalized principle. An odd number of lions represents danger for the lamb while an even number represents safety. Yes. Wow. All right. That's pretty good. How much fun was that's that? That's pretty good. That is really fun. Yay. And, so, and, the, and so that's a case of inductive reason. Now, if I was really... <laughs> oh, my God. Player three, Nick has rediscovered his soundboard. Those of you who are listening. When we were in our 30th, 40th episode, and we were still kind of feeling things out. Uh, yeah, he uh, he kind of lost touch with the soundboard. Yeah. And I got to say, I, uh, I missed it in some ways, but in a much more real sense, I didn't miss it at all. You see... The, I can make the argument twice in a row. Don't push it twice in a row. I can make the argument that I, I don't use it enough. Like here, just say something real quick. No. (laughs) (laughs) I just, just the, honestly, one of the greatest bits on the internet is putting the, uh, the, the bleep in places it doesn't belong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why in the front door would you do that? I know I missed my shot, but I'll get you later. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I loved inducing the, the lion lamp thing. Liquor. It was really fun. And I think... That was really fun. You were... We, we induced. We it. induced. We, we drew... We drew... We extrapolated a principle... Yes. ...out of an initial observation and analysis. So it's, it's data, analysis, generalization, as opposed to deduction, which would be... A lion is unsafe with an odd number, or a lamb is unsafe with an odd number of lions. And so we would have to like walk that through and say like, okay, well, there are 87 lions on the island. Yeah, well, it would be more, it would be more like uh, screwed up if you could be like, there are are six lions on an island with one lamb, that lamb is toast. And you're like, well, five years later, the fucking lamb is still alive and the lions are starving to death. Like, how'd this happen? Like, oh, well, that's because you deduced that, oh, lion eats lamb. We're going to be fine. Like, we didn't think about this thoroughly. 
Yep. Well, and, and you know, that, that actually gets us into another thing that we talk about on the show all the time, which is cognitive bias, like yep. the, uh, the, the confirmation bias that people have, which is like the desire to incorporate facts or new information, new observations that reinforce the existing worldview. It's, it's really difficult for people, I think, and, and this is true for everybody. This isn't like a malformation of character. It's yeah. just the way that yeah. the conscience works. It, there, there's natural inertia that goes against restructuring your worldview. So when it comes to deduction, the, the, the process that you have to go by is starting with this initial principle that a generalized idea is true, and then you work within that. And that becomes a real problem when your generalized principle is is false mm-hmm. and you run into facts that run counter to it. And the solution I think that a lot of people can get away with in like this post truth world where you can curate like your social media environment and you can work with things called alternative facts, yeah. which is just silly. And you can accuse people of misinformation. and oh, disinformation, well, Chris, You don't have to say that to player three because player three knows and understands the experience triangle of fact, truth and reality. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so when, when you no run into, facts. When, when you run into data from mm-hmm. continued experimentation, when you're trying to deduce things, it, uh, sometimes it causes you to, like, you have to confront the reality that the facts that you observe do not comport with the generalized principle that you began with. And so you, you will likely induce the wrong general principles from the facts because they contradict one another or it, it and it, it really creates a challenge in trying to like persuade people of anything because yeah. people are very unlikely. They're much more likely to discount facts that run contrary to the general principles that they begin with than they are to re-examine those general principles and then do the very hard, undignified, unsexy work of re-examining all of their observations and life experiences in light of the new general principle. It's hard doing deductive reasoning all the time and the brain skips past that. So, you know, it, it, it may make sense for us to not have to re-examine everything that we believe and, and every thought that we have in our brains every time we run into an experience. So, you know, it, it, it saves us so much time and cognitive effort to just stick with our principles and, you know, kind of deal with the facts as, as they may. But that also leads you to hold on to ideas potentially that are wrong or harmful for a really long time. And that becomes really pernicious and it's a significant problem is when it, it when it's like significant high stakes social issues. One of the reasons I, I like sports as a distraction for society is that putting putting a take on the line is not a high stakes situation. And I, I think I find it very healthy and it's a it's a fine line between getting obsessed and simply being distracted. Being incredibly passionate about something that is deductive corollary and untestable is a completely stupid but enjoyable and kind of healthy outlet where it gets weird is when we get into politics and shouts to donnie t who have turned politics into sports successfully to the tune of i would assume hundreds of millions of dollars just in cash flow from merchandise sales like a team i think that that's where it gets weird because like right now you can kind of look at say like well is it a good idea to draft a running back in the first round of the NFL? It is. It isn't. Well, you can't clone Christian McCaffrey and put him on every NFL team for five years and then test like, oh, well, this team did good and this team did bad. You have to be like, oh, uh, well, running backs are replaceable and therefore it's a dumb idea and it is infinitely retrospective. It is infinitely untestable. So you're fine. Where it gets scary is when you start deducing shit about things that actually matter and you're like, okay, 
how did we get here? How did this conclusion happen? Right now, we're in a situation where there's a portion of the population that's like, I don't know about vaccines. You're like, well, perhaps, perhaps, definitely perhaps, not really. It's been tested. Like, how did we get here? How did you get to this deduction? How did we induce this? What is the scientific method for finding out how we concluded these things? And if you can't figure out, like Inception, if you don't know how you got here, then you're not here. You're on well, your own. Yeah, I, I, it seems to me that there are basically two sides to this coin where you could wind up with a significant portion of the population believing something that is scientifically untrue. Vaccines mm-hmm. are healthy and effective and safe. And that's, that's just how it is. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you guys. Yeah. So I, I think the two sides of the coin are as follows, potentially. Somebody begins with a set of data that is presented to them, and maybe that data is false, or maybe that data is difficult to understand. And an example of that would be uh, the infamous study of linking vaccine, vaccines to autism. Yeah, that was great. That was later awesome. yeah, proven to be untrue, Sick. and the paper was redacted. The problem is that that information made it out into a, an audience that was receptive and was willing to accept that, like, oh, there's things I don't know about this, but this is someone authoritative speaking about it, so I've learned something new. Right. And so those people take that observation. They take that data point and extrapolate it out. They induce a general principle that, oh, these vaccines cause autisms, therefore vaccines are unsafe. Yes. And once that idea gets deeply enough entrenched, it becomes, it, it, it tends to naturally spread out and take root in other areas of life. So then you could conclude, uh, based on vaccines being unsafe, well, these people are pushing vaccines, and so therefore I can conclude that these people are pushing something that's unsafe. And so that doesn't really comport with the life lived experience of most people trying to give advice are generally helpful. And so you got to reexamine that and think like, well, maybe these people who are pushing this don't have my best interest at heart. Yeah. And, and so you go from, and then, and then that's where you go on to the other side of the coin where you go from these general principles of vaccines aren't safe. People are pushing vaccines. These people don't have my best interest at heart. And so that general principle becomes your basis for deduction. And so now all of a sudden you're starting from a point of view of everything that guy says is designed to try to get me in some way. Yeah. And so I have to interpret the facts as like under the umbrella of somebody trying to trying to get one over on me or take advantage of me or manipulate me. And so when you run into facts that are like, okay, here's an observation. Uh, the government recommends that you get a booster for this particular variant of this virus because of public health reasons. You go back to your original principle and you say, aha, I've deduced that the government is trying to use this version of the booster to plant yeah. the chips or whatever. <laughs> and, and so that's where you get into this like crazy conspiracy thinking. Because remember, the thing about conspiracy thinking is that it uses the same principles and the same skill set. It feels like critical thinking. But you've run into this problem where people cross, the, they, they change horses midstream, or they improperly induce an idea, and then that becomes the basis of false deduction later on. And it's a real serious problem when it's high stakes issues like public health questions, yeah. like social issues that, that people are really emotionally involved in, like trying to understand a complex, quickly evolving information. So when you, have a, when you have a conspiracy theory situation, when one side of the coin is power and money, and you're like, okay, so if I'm concluding that the reason that the, the therefore because of thing is that these people want money and power, you're like, okay, well, that's obvious. But when the people on the other side of the coin argue that, like, well, we just want truth, that seems like such a noble cause, but this is, and this is me inducing, this is my big argument, 
Um, because I worked very closely with some pretty groundbreaking people in cannabis research and found in the early days of cannabis kind of lessening up in it, its legality and, and being more some, accepted. You did some field studies? I did not do were you, any field were you a studies. participant in some I of their some experimental research? Data. I have some anecdotal data. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, so I worked with some people and they would give lectures on these very clinical psychiatry podcasts and stuff. And like, these are like, this is groundbreaking geniuses giving talks on podcasts and I'm listening to it. And the conclusions that these guys are drawing, like they have clinical data. They're essentially like, Hey, we do a drug. Um, is it probably less bad than alcohol in many ways? Yes. In some ways, no, but in many ways, safer and better. Sure. However, there have been a long time for many decades. A lot of people are like it's a plant. You can't overdose on it. There's probably some medicinal effects. It makes my pain better. And all of these psychiatrists are like, fucking no. We keep testing it. And actually, there was one study, and it's kind of hard to explain the study design. It is a, they just do populations that are very similar to each other. So one was alcohol versus placebo, and one was weed versus placebo. And they could be like, because the populations are similar, it's like alcohol versus placebo and weed versus placebo. It's not super, but it's, it's, the conclusions are enough to like warrant another study is what I'm saying. So they're like, mm. yeah, act, uh, weed is worse than alcohol for PTSD among soldiers. And this is an Australian study, like, which is bad. And oh, wow. what I induced, having been to New York City and having been to Boston and having been to San Francisco and seeing skyscrapers was that I would hypothesize that if weed had any clinical benefit at all, at all, the billionaires would have found a way to legalize it many moons ago. Many, many moons ago would be my guess. I mean, that's that's possible. That's sort of I what mean, I'm saying. You got to think there's like a lobbying apparatus in this country that's strong enough to be yeah. able to push that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, so, like opioids yeah, well, seem like they was never illegal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you're so you're you're deducing from the general principle of we yes. have a strong lobby that because it's not like we've 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 done an experiment and shown that it's not legalized or that that apparatus hasn't been put to work therefore the the clinical benefits must be bad right so like it's, so, it's like it's my counter argument to the the idea that like theoretically everyone's thing is like well the government's just trying to keep weed down they want to like push opioids like no idiots they would want to sell you the weed right right they would want to they would want to monetize this right, so, so there's there's another general principle that you can deduce like because no one's found a way to monetize this on a large scale there probably isn't the scientific backing and they're trying to go another way. But there we are. Now we're in the conspiracy theory argument, which is not right. Most good facts are boring. And it feels like you're doing critical thinking. It feels like we're doing, because you're you're following the same steps as deductive reasoning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to get to that larger principle, you did the same work as inductive reasoning. Uh, Maybe another way to kind of put a finer point on this is to take it back to stats class. I know, uh, I know you're not like yeah. Mr. Math guy, but oh, I love stats, stats, dude. Class. I talk Cox regression done, models all day, but I have tiny P values. You talk, you, you've done some, yeah, you've done some tiny P values T- on tiny Cox P-values. regressions. Yeah. You, you've, 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 re, you've regressed on some Cox. Cox with an X. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> X what, what I'm, what I'm getting at here <laughs> is the, the words that we've been using are deductive and inductive reasoning. So deductive is you're going from larger to, to precise, Inductive, you're going from precise measurements to general principles. Another way to maybe phrase this in a more mathematical way would be that inductive reasoning, you are extrapolating from an existing set of data and trying to identify a trend. 
Whereas with deductive reasoning, you are interpolating data. And so for those, those of you who are not like math people out there, just as a refresher, if you've heard this term before or if you haven't, interpolation is where you've got like a set of data points. And so the classic example would be like a population trend. If you're trying to graph the population growth of a town over time, you might take data points over like every 10 years or so and just basically connect the dots. Like that's the most simple form of interpolation is just draw a line from one data point to another on a graph. And you can kind of conclude that probably somewhere in the middle, that's a rough representation of how that population grew over time. And then, you know, the math people are going, well, you know, you can draw different models. You can do a quadratic model or an exponential growth model and whatever. And so it's oh, not necessarily math. a straight line oh, between those two points. Shush. The point is that with interpolation, with deductive reasoning, you're trying to fill in the space between two known points or between multiple known points and figure out what, like, how do we characterize what happens within the bounds of the data that we've observed. Inductive reasoning would be extrapolation where you're taking a small data set and you're trying to figure out what the rest of the curve looks like beyond those bounds. So if you, if you were to take a population of a town from like, I don't know, 1980 to 2010. And every five years, it looks like the population is growing in a straight line. Like a V. You might conclude. Or like a, yeah, right. like a big line. Yeah, or just, just, just like a slope, just like a ramp. A slope. You might conclude like, well, in 30 years, it's going to grow by this much. That trend is going to continue. Or if there's like an exponential growth curve, you could say, oh, yeah, people are really flocking to the Vegas area. Then the growth is going to continue to be exponential. And by this point, you can project what that's supposed to be on the basis of what the shape, the mathematical shape of the data that you do have, what, what does that look like? Yeah. And you, so you basically just extend the line on what it would be. Um, there are some, there's a lot of value to be gained with that, but you know, there's, there's a real obvious challenge, mm -hmm. which is that you don't know the future no. and you can't assume that there, there, there's a, there's a principle in that, that applies to all kinds of mathematical fields from financial analysis to biology, to population, whatever it is. Past performance is not a guaranteed indicator of future expectations. Just because a trend has been established in the data doesn't mean that you should count 100% on that data or on that trend continuing to play itself out in future data sets. It's like my, the, the value of my meme stock is going up and up and up. The, the apes are strong. We're holding on to GameStop. It's just going to be more and more valuable. You can't guarantee that. You cannot count on that continuing. So you have to understand that there are limitations to your ability to draw a generalized picture on the basis of a limited data set. Similarly, you can't assume that when you're deducing, when you're interpolating, that the shape of what happened between point A and point B is known and predictable. I think it's a little bit, I, I, I think, you know, I'm just drawing back to my, my math classes in, in school and in college. I think it, you're generally safer with deduction, with interpolation, than you are with extra, extrapolation. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I would need a, need a math person to be able to check me on that one. But the point is, you can usefully deduce or induce ideas, and you go in different directions for that. But there are significant limits that if you're going to do that kind of reasoning, you have to understand you're working within a limitation of what you can and can't know. You know the, the, the real game theory that you have here is understanding when you should or shouldn't rest your laurels on a conclusion that you've drawn, especially when you get into the mathematical stuff. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, you, you, you don't want to be changing the interpolation into an extrapolation and back and forth a whole bunch of times while you're going through a chain of reasoning. You really want to be careful about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, like, there could theoretically be 
a te- like something going on where the sorority girls don't show up at Starbucks is like that's extrapolation. We're like, yeah, I mean, they're probably going to be there, but then maybe they're not there and it screws up something else. But when you're going to make your decisions for your future, induction is a safer example of what to do than deduction because it, if you deduce something, you can kind of, you could be completely flabbergasted about like what's happening sort of like the hangman or the the prisoner just waiting like oh i deduced this i did everything right it makes total sense to me and then all of a sudden like oh actually starbucks is moved to nashville it's dead you'll never come here again and like you were the only customer for a number of years because you came when no one else was coming but it wasn't because everyone was here it was because you were the only customer and like you know there's a I guess it's a reasonable example. But the the point is that if you're deducing, you run the risk of this. And all, all I can think about this episode, prepping for this, is like maybe Sherlock Holmes is making all that shit up. Maybe there are a bunch of wrongful convictions. Maybe he was... <laughs> well, it's, I, I guess I think of that in like uh, Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah, yes. Nerd. He was, uh, he, was, he was overstepping his bounds. He was that way out of pocket. Yeah, I like Encyclopedia Brown, but I do think that man needs to be checked. Um, Speaking of Encyclopedia Brown, yeah. deductive and inductive reasoning, let's get back to what we started. What with a here. bus driver bringing it full circle. Holy shit. That's shite. right. That's right. We got our football field turning radius on this bus. We're going all the way back to the beginning here. Nick, you got three light switches identical. You got a room with one chance to enter and examine three identical incandescent bulbs. How do you figure out? Which switch goes to which bulb? Well, I do know the answer, and I think I told you this riddle uh, many years ago. You didn't tell me this riddle. I, I learned this riddle in college. Gonna this pull is, out my the one thing I learned in college. With my Strupa waffle, and oh, I am my. going to flip on one light switch. And I'm going to flip watch an entire episode of The Great British Baking Show while I eat my Strupa waffle. And then as soon as we find out who Star Baker is, then I'm going to flip a light switch off. I'm going to flip another one on, and I'm going to run in that goddamn room. And then I'm going to touch light bulbs, and I'm going to feel the light bulbs. I'm going to squeeze them gently, and I'm going to see which one is hot. The hot which one of the light unlit bulbs, bulbs of the unlit bulbs is hot because we know the lit bulb isn't the one that was on for sure. That's right. That's, That's the right. one you know. That's the one I know. So we're going to find the hot one, and that one is a conclusion. And then there's a 50-50 shot, and I know exactly which light is on and which one is off. So That's again. Right. You, so you figure it out. One I is did. based on the switch is on. One is based on the switch was on. Yes. And the temperature of the incandescent bulb. And the other one hasn't been touched. Congratulations. You've solved this riddle. Player Thank three, you. if you got this right, let us know. Like, rate, review, subscribe, oh. explain your all right, reasoning all methods. All right, let's stop with the self-promo. We don't try that hard. I mean, Player three, if you got this one wrong, go back to the beginning and listen to what we've been telling you. You should be able to figure this I out. I have a pitch for you for our Halloween episode that we haven't recorded yet. And like we're, we're looking at topics. We were thinking about doing Salem and McCarthyism, like really doing a deep dive in that. But I also, what do you know? about the history and sociology of gaslighting. Do you know the story behind the original gaslighting? Well, they call me the original gaslighting. Mm, well, it's actually incredibly screwed up and a nice dark little tale. So I'm thinking we could do that, or we could do an entire episode about which Saw games I would survive from the TV, sh- the, the movie series. You would fail immediately. I would, would actually might try to kill myself in all of them. Honestly, that's what I would do too. Respect. I'm not sitting in that bathroom, man. No. No chance. Spooky. Yeah, and a fall draft coming up. Fall Saw, Saw might be on my fall draft. Saws are those those are fun. That was a moment in time. The return of Saw. The jigs back. <laughs>